Jesus could be more holy, he could be closer to God, he could be more on track with God. That's what they're really thinking when they're thinking Jesus doesn't need to be eating with tax collectors and sinners. That sounds shocking to us that someone would think that they are more moral than Jesus, that they're more righteous than Jesus, that they know more than Jesus. But if you think about it, we still do that today, don't we? Conservative religious people sometimes look at God's word and says, yes, those standards are good, but we're going to add some standards to that just to be sure that nobody goes astray or loses their way with God. And when conservative religious people do that, of course, we're saying we really know better what the rules for God's people should be than God does. We're really more moral than what God is. So conservative religious people often do this when we create standards that are higher or different than those that God has in his word. But secular people, progressive religious people do this as well, don't they? They think if Jesus listened to us, he could really do better with this generation. I mean, I like what Jesus says about the poor, about the oppressed, about the widow, and to bring those folks in and to not have them, those who are on the margins, should not be excluded in the way that they are. I like what Jesus says about that, but more secular, progressive people will say, but you know, if Jesus could improve his message on marriage, if Jesus had a little more updated views on sex, if Jesus could take a little different stance on women, then he could do better with this generation. And so even more secular, progressive religious people can say, hey, I know more than Jesus. I know better than Jesus knows. But listen, whether you are on the right or you are on the left, I must tell you, if you are not with Jesus on something, then you have lost your way. Right? Jesus always knows better than what we know. And so if we're different from Jesus on something, the problem is with us and not with him. If we're not with Jesus, we've lost our way. So let's look at that together. How do people lose their way with God? How do we get to that point that we think we know more than what Jesus knows, than, than what God knows? And, and Jesus tells some stories that illustrate four ways that happens. How do people lose their way? we got to see if you can get the first one. Jesus tells this story, beginning in verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So how do people lose their way with God? The first story Jesus tells shows us that the way some people lose their way with God is some wander. Some just wander, just sort of meander, right? The sheep is not looking to leave the flock. The sheep is not looking to leave the shepherd. The sheep just wanders off gradually, little by little, 
in simple decisions that are made in everyday life. A decision to go this way instead of that way. A decision to eat this grass over here instead of that grass over there. The flock moves on, the shepherd moves on, and the sheep moves in this direction. And gradually, little by little, over time, the sheep looks up and the flock and the shepherd are gone. You see, this group of people, the ones who wander, this is the person who started off with the flock, a person who started off with the shepherd. This is a person who is a part of God's people, a person who went to church and who grew up a Christian. They didn't rebel against Christianity. They just gradually wandered, slowly over time, little by little, taking this path instead of that eating this grass instead of that grass. This person may remember verses from Sunday school. Maybe they even remember fondly some of the songs. They even remember the shepherd. Maybe they even pray some, but they no longer follow the shepherd. They don't look to the shepherd for direction. They make their own decisions. Now, what causes us to wander in this way? How do we wander gradually away from the flock or away from the shepherd? Well, Jesus talks about this. Remember the first uh, parable we looked at was the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. Mark has it in his gospel in Mark chapter 4. And Jesus tells us there, there's this soil, right, where the seed, the word of God comes and it lands on this soil and it sprouts up, right? You see fruit, you at least see a plant. But then what happens is that thorns grow up and they choke out the plant, Jesus says. He says there are those who hear the word, but what is it that causes wonder? The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. You hear that? Gradually, the cares of the world creep in. Maybe you have a spouse. Maybe you have a job. Maybe you get a house. And there are things you need to do around there, and you make decisions to do that instead of being amongst the flock and the shepherd. Your kids get involved in activities, and so you're going for them to participate, and you make that decision to eat this grass over here instead of that grass over there. And gradually, slowly, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches that promises to fulfill our souls when it cannot do so as we pursue money, as we pursue things, as other things are just more desirable to us when we look up in the flock and the shepherd are far away. This is the person who didn't just re outright rebel against God but has just gradually wandered away. <clears throat> it's funny the Old Testament talks about this. I love this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8. It warns the people of God. These are people who have seen God do miraculous things. They've seen God part the Red Sea. They've walked out of Egypt. God has brought them into this land. They've seen God do miracles. And then God warns them, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. This is a danger for us. We live in a land of plenty. 
where even when there's inflation that eats up our income, right, we still have nice homes compared to the rest of the world. We still have the opportunity to buy so many different kinds of things. We have access to them. And that kind of success, that kind of prosperity can make us forget the Lord our God, that he's the one that provides us. In fact, Deuteronomy 8 goes on to say, you might be tempted to think that you created your own will, but it was the Lord your God who gave it to you out of his hand and the generousness of his heart. Oh, we can see the things that God blesses us with and we can begin to wander. We have cupboards that are full. We have bank accounts that are full. And we begin to look at our cupboards and our bank accounts not connected to the shepherd, but connected to our own decisions. We begin to make decisions for ourselves and we're no longer looking to the shepherd to guide us. Even though we may remember verses from Sunday school, we may have a fond remembrance of songs that we used to sing in church. Even though we may remember the show, we may pray sometimes or remember some of the passages of scripture that we learned, but we no longer are following him, no longer looking to him for direction, making our own decisions in life. That's how we wander. I wonder, have you wandered from God? Maybe you or some person you know or pray for regularly has wandered from God. Look how God responds to one who has wandered. Do you see that in the text? When these people are grumbling and complaining about tax collectors and sinners drawing near to Jesus, Jesus tells the story to illustrate how God sees those who have wandered. And God in the story is the shepherd who leaves the 99 and pursues the one that has wandered. And he goes after him, looking for him until he finds him. You may think, yes, I have wandered, but how does the Lord come after me as my shepherd? Well, he does it in a myriad of ways. One of which I would submit to you that you are not here this morning by accident. If you hear the sound of my voice, if you are feeling that you have wandered, maybe God is even now pursuing you through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. You may be tempted to think it's too late, you've wandered too far, that God is angry with you. But look what the shepherd does. The shepherd does not say, how could you do this? I told you so, you should not. That's not at all how the shepherd responds. God is not like that person in your life who never lets you forget the things that you've done wrong, who always sees you through the lens of the poor choices, the worst decisions you've made in your life. Look at how God responds. Then the shepherd rejoices. Then he takes the, the, the sheep that's watered and he puts it on his shoulders and he calls together friends and neighbors. And he says, rejoice with me. And Jesus goes on to say, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than a whole flock who don't think they need to repent, who don't see their need for a Savior, who don't see their, who think that they have established their own righteousness. God delights in those who have wandered when they're found and brought back to the Back to so God call you back to Him today. So how 
Do people lose their way? We've got some wander. Some are just seemingly misplaced. Some just seem to be misplaced. Look at this story Jesus tells in verses 8 through 10. Jesus says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, what is this describing? Well, the coin did not choose to wander from God. The coin is just where the coin is. I pushed back uh, one of the pieces of our soap, our section on this past week because I was looking for something and found a whole treasure of things. <laughs> Pencils, popcorn, a lot of hair scrunching things that you put in your hair, right? Bobby pins and, and that sort of thing. What of Phineas's toys? The coin is just where the coin is. And some people lose their way with God through no fault of their own. It's just where they find themselves in life, far from God. Maybe they were born into a family that didn't talk about Jesus, that didn't go to church, that didn't see the gospel lived out in their home. Maybe they grew up in the home of an atheist. That's just where they found themselves. Maybe they grew up as a part of another religion. That's just where they landed. They were just seemingly misplaced. Maybe they grew up in a part of the world where the gospel is not preached. And they never thought about the God of the Bible or thought that they could have anything to do with him. They didn't know that they were created in the image of God with dignity and a purpose. They just felt misplaced in the world, not really knowing what their place was. So some lose their way with God because they just seem to be misplaced. But the point of this story is not about the coin as much as it is about the woman who is dedicated to finding the lost coin. That's the picture of God here. That God is dedicated to finding lost people. The woman lights up the house. It probably had no windows. So she lights it up so she can see better. And she sweeps the house. And she diligently looks, the text says. She seeks diligently. Listen, is that your view of God? The people who are lost, who are seemingly misplaced, who are not in a place that they're close to God, do you see God as one who seeks diligently for those folks? What's the attitude of our church? Do we have a zeal to seek after those who are far from God and a joy to see the repentance that comes when people turn from other things to God? That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying God is like a woman who diligently seeks for what is lost. And when it's found, she rejoices. Remember, these folks are grumbling and complaining about tax collectors and sinners coming to God. And he's saying, that's not what God's like. Surely you understand if you're a shepherd who loses a sheep, if you're a woman who loses a coin, that all these people belong to God. They're all here. They've lost their way with him. Some because they wander. Some because they're seemingly misplaced. And then Jesus tells what I believe is the greatest short story ever written. Now I know he says it. He speaks it. 
That makes it even more impressive to me. Because while some people lose their way with God because they wander, some people are seemingly misplaced, some people just rebel and run away. Some people just rebel against God. Look at verse 11 and following. And Jesus said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property with reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. He began to be in need, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Let's stop right there in the story. Some people lose their way with God because they rebel and run away. Here's a son who had grown up in the house of the father. And here's this son that desperately longs to leave the father's house, believing he can find more fulfilling things elsewhere in a far country. Perhaps he longs for his father to die so that he can just get the stuff and leave. Finally, he gets up the nerve and he says to his father, can you just go ahead and give me my share of the property coming to me? What he's really saying is, Father, I, I wish you were dead. I'd rather have your stuff than to have you and to continue to live here. A horrible thing to say. He gathers together all that he has and he leaves. He's not planning on coming back. He's leaving for good. He's a rebel. He's one who knows what it's like to be in the Father's house, but he rebels he runs away. Some of us say that to God, don't we? I believe there's something better out there. I believe there's something better and more fulfilling in the world. And God, you're dead to me. I want the stuff you give me. I want the blessings. I want to take my gifts and abilities that you've given me. I want to take the material blessings that you've given me. I want to take all the stuff that you I want to enjoy the good things you made in the world, but I don't want you. I don't want you calling the shots. I don't want you telling me what to do. I'll do things my own way. And even though we know what it's like to be in the father's family, in the father's house, some rebel and run away. One of the problems these folks who are grumbling and complaining have is they're saying, Jesus, don't you know tax collectors and sinners are unclean? And they're drawing near to him? It's going to make him unclean. And Jesus said, yeah, I know they're unclean. Let me tell you one that'll really, this, this person, this hypothetical, this story that he tells, this person has to go and feed pigs. And he longs to fill himself with what the pigs are eating to a Jewish audience that would be repulsive. Pigs were unclean animals. And for a Jewish boy to be out feeding the pigs and longing to fill himself with the pigs, it would be horrible. Jesus said, yeah, they're unclean. These people who rebelled and run away from God, yes, they're unclean. But look at how the Father responds. Let's pick up in verse 17. But when he came to himself, your translation they say, when he came to his senses. Let me just stop right there at that much. What 
saved a prodigal come to his senses? What is it that made him come to himself? Well, he ran off in the foreign land. He ran out of money. There was a famine in the land. He experienced hardship. And nobody was helping him. Sometimes, those who rebel and run away, the thing that brings them back is difficulties, is hardship. If you're one who has rebelled and run away, and then you're experiencing hardship in your life, maybe that's an indication for you to come to your senses, to come back to the Father's house. For those of us who are praying for people who have rebelled and have run away, maybe we need to start praying for a famine to come in the land. For them to experience hardship, that they may come back to the Father. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish? I'm dying here of hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. The son knows after all he said and all he's done, he could never come back as a son. If he could just come back as a servant, the servants in my father's house have it better than I have in a faraway country. I'm dying of hunger. Something to go back just to serve, just to be a servant in my father's house. And then perhaps what I think is the most shocking to the original audience, most beautiful verses in all the scripture, Luke 15 and verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. If you've rebelled and run from God, I don't know what reception you would expect to receive if you came back. But the Pharisees and tax collectors who are grumbling here are expecting this one who rebelled to get what he deserved. And Jesus shocks them by saying the response of the Father is that he's been waiting for you to come back home. That he's been watching for you to return, watching the horizon, watching for his son, perhaps pleading, praying that he would come back home. And when he sees his son in the distance, he runs out. So you need to understand, you know, a man who has an estate here at this, at this time, his culture did not run. Children ran. Servants ran. This was beneath him. But he doesn't care. He runs to his son. And he embraces him. And Jesus is saying, this is how God responds to a wayward son, to a child, the one who has rebelled, the one who said, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. The one who's done horrible things. And then comes back home beautiful picture of what God is like, a shocking 
picture of what we may think about God. Look at verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's going through his speech that he had prepared. He's been rehearsing it all the way. Remember when you're a little kid, you're in trouble. And you decide what you're going to tell your parents. And you've got this story and you're going to tell it, right? Well, the father doesn't even let him finish his little spill that he's prepared, right? I'm no longer going to be called your son. He had to get the point about taking back his hired hand. Verse 22, his father interrupts him. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. If this is not moving to you, then perhaps you don't see the depth of your own sin. Perhaps you haven't experienced the love and grace of the Father toward you. The Father says, you're not coming back as a servant, you're coming home as a son. And they celebrate. Jesus is saying this is the correct response when one who is far from God comes back. He's teaching that to those folks who are grumbling and complaining. But if you are one who has rebelled and has run away, if that's where you are, see the lesson that is here for you. That the music and the rejoicing and the celebration and the party that you have sought, you've been looking for in the world, the joy you seek in the world is only found in the Father's house. Your only ultimate, what you are looking for is only found in Him. So come home. Some rebel and run away, but the Father is watching. And He's waiting. And He will welcome you. And you can always come back home. No matter what. Jesus could stop right here, and this story would be the same as the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son is found, and they celebrate that scene, but Jesus goes on. And we tend to forget about the older brother, and that's really the point of this story. This is what Jesus adds to make it different from the other stories. We always forget about the older brother. We always forget that some of us lose our way with God because we are resentful and self-righteous right here at home. It's the point. It's the reason Jesus goes on with this story. We always seem to forget the older brother. I love the story about the Sunday school class where the dramatic teacher is teaching and she's saying to the children that there was one who was not happy that the younger brother had come back home. There was one that was not rejoicing that the younger brother had come back home. Who is that, boys and girls? And this kid raised his hand says, the fattened calf? <laughs> <laughs> we tend to forget about the older brother, right? Look at the text, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called from the servants and asked, what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. Do you see that? Some people lose their way with God 
because they're resentful and they're self-righteous right here at home. This is the original audience that Jesus was talking to, the one that is grumbling and complaining that these tax collectors and sinners are drawing near. Jesus is saying, you're the older brother in this story. This is the whole point of what he's saying, that God wants these folks to come, and there's rejoicing, and the proper response should be rejoicing, and then here Jesus, in, in a genius way, is coming full circle, and he's putting a character in the story that represents what they are thinking. And I want you to see how God responds to those who are resentful and self-righteous right here at home, those who think they know better how to deal with younger brothers than God does. What he does, I didn't read the second half of verse 28, but he was angry and refused to go in, and his father came out and entreated him. He begged him to come into the party. Notice that the father goes out to the resentful, self-righteous older brother, just like he went out to the runaway rebel that had come back home. God comes out to us, even as we're angry and pout and refuse to be a part, because we think we know better than Jesus how Runaway rebels should be dealt with. So the older, the father goes out to the elder brother. Verse 29, but he answered his father, look, many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. You hear the self-righteousness. I've always done what is right. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours... He doesn't claim him as his brother anymore. When the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. You hear the anger, the self-righteousness, the resentment. The father responds, verse 31, and he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. He's still going to get an inheritance. You haven't been cheated out of an inheritance, son. All that I, if you want to have a party with your friends, all that I have is yours. You've been here in the Father's house. You haven't had to experience the famine in the land and the difficulties. You've been here with me. And he said, son, you are always with me. All that I have is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this brother, for this your brother. You do have a relationship with him. This your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And then Jesus just stops. That's the end of the story. We're not told if the older brother comes into the party or not. And Jesus does that because he's challenging those who are resentful and self-righteous. He's challenging the Pharisees and the scribes, those church people who thought they knew better than him. What are you going to do? Are you going to come into the party in the Father's house? Or are you going to stay outside and be angry? You see, people lose their way with God because some, some wander... Some are singly displaced, some rebel and run away, and some are resentful and self-righteous, and that keeps them from coming to God. They don't take their cues from him any longer because they think they know better than what God knows. Maybe you're one of those. Maybe different times in your life you've been one of several of these. 
The big question to answer, though, is how do we get back? Yes, some people lose their way with God. How do you get back? How are you made right with God? And the theme running through all these stories is we repent. We turn from other things to the living God who is like a shepherd who leaves the 99 and comes for us and rejoices when we're found. He's like a determined woman seeking diligently who rejoices when we're found. God's like a patient, gracious father who celebrates with a feast and invites you into the party. The question is, are you willing to repent? Are you willing to say, I've been wrong and I'm sorry and I choose a different way? And God says, come back as a son. And we will celebrate with music and dancing. And rejoicing. What will you choose? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us the joy that comes with repentance. I pray that you would help us to turn from other things and to find the joy and fulfillment that can only be found in your house. Please come and work in our hearts so that we can see how we've wandered or how we're misplaced or how we've rebelled and run away or how we are self-righteous and resentful. Show us those things so that we might turn from them and turn to you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.